0: Good morning. If you're here for the very first time, my name's Dave, I'm the lead pastor. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I know we've got some folks in the room here this morning. I know we've got people watching us online right now as well. Maybe you're watching online for the very first time. Thank you also for tuning in this morning. Maybe you're watching this later in the week. And uh, thanks for taking some time during your busy week to make room for God, for church. Uh, I hope you uh, have enjoyed the service so far. I hope the message continues to uh, encourage and uplift you. Um, If you're here in person, if you're watching online, and you're from this area, if you grew up in this area, you will know uh, that you face a very unique challenge. And that is that we live here in Washington, Illinois. And uh, Washington, Illinois, Central Illinois, is kind of equidistant between Chicago and St. Louis. You could drive about two and a half hours north, you'd get to Chicago. About two and a half hours south, you'd get to St. Louis. So what that means is if you grew up around here, at some point in your life, you are faced with that very challenging dilemma that you need to decide which way you're going to go. Am I going to be a Cubs fan or am I going to be a Cardinals fan? That just seems to be the the, the challenge we're faced living here. If you're a White Sox fan here this morning, I apologize. I don't know why they never seem to make it into the mix. I know, look, he's wearing his White Sox shirt, Greg, I'm so sorry. I do know we used to live up in the suburbs of Chicago. There's a lot of rivalry up there between the Cubs and the White Sox. But it just seems, for whatever reason, that right here in central Illinois, that that fierce rivalry is between the Cardinals fans and the Cubs fans sometimes people are Cubs fans because they grew up and their parents were Cubs fans and now I'm a Cubs fan sometimes people are Cardinals fans because their parents were Cubs fans so I'm going to be a Cardinals fan and they want to buck the system I've, I've known couples who've got married from around here and he supported the Cubs and she supported the Cardinals and, and it was kind of, you know, this was divisive, this was problematic and these aren't the only rivalries that are out there, are we? are there? You I mean, what about Bears, Packers? That's a big rivalry right there, isn't there? Apple, Samsung, Coke, Pepsi. Um, obviously, Pepsi is the correct answer on that one. These are all, <laughs> no, see, already stirring some things up here. These are, these are all these, these rivalries that exist, aren't there? But you know, the division that these rivalries can cause, they pale into insignificance come election time. Because sadly, now more than ever, it seems that politics can bring the kind of division that can destroy friendships, even families. Which is why I think we as a church, as uncomfortable as this conversation is, we as a church need to talk about this. So if this is your first time here this morning, thanks so much for coming. I hope you'll come again. I promise you we will have other series in the future. But I just felt like this was something we needed to talk about as a church right now. I said this last week, I will reiterate it this week. This series is not designed for uh, us as a church to instruct you on how we think you should vote. That's not what we are going to do at all. It's also not a series to talk about how, how great the kingdom of God is, which it is, and how much greater it is than, than man-made structures. Therefore, we shouldn't vote. No, we think you should vote. We think it's very important that we do vote. But the truth is that we all have different opinions on on which way to vote. And right now, the world we live in is getting very divisive and actually very unpleasant in the way it's dealing with all of this. So there's a couple of questions I want you to think about as we launch into this morning's subject. The first is this, how can we make sure that as followers of Christ, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, how can we make sure that we're not letting the world influence us? There are things going on right now in the world that if we're not careful, could creep into the church. And and I don't want that to happen. In fact, inversely, kind of to rephrase that question, how can we as followers of Christ live in such a way that we will influence the world? I actually think God is calling us to, to find a, a way to, to live as followers of Jesus in this politically divisive time that can be actually um, a light in darkness. We can show how to live as followers of Christ, love one another, and it can be a, a message that to communicates to the world we live in. But to be able to do that, we're going to have to ask ourselves are we willing to put our faith filters ahead of our political filters? Are we willing to put our faith filters ahead of our political filters? Because since the time of Jesus, people have always been trying to to fit Jesus into their worldviews. This isn't anything new, this has been happening for thousands of years, in fact we're going to find out this morning that it literally happened while Jesus was alive. There were groups of people who tried to, to fit Jesus into their way of thinking. And in actual fact, Jesus wanted to to flip that upside down. Jesus wants us to embrace his way of thinking in all we do. So, we're looking at an account this morning uh, from the New Testament. A guy by the name of Matthew was one of the gentlemen who wrote about the life of Jesus. And he talks about an incident where Jesus had an encounter, uh, and it was kind of a politically charged uh, conversation. But to set it up, I want to um, just give you a little history lesson here and take you back to um, the time that Jesus walked the earth and what the, uh, the environment was like back then. So 2,000 years ago, uh, when Jesus lived in the land of Israel, they were um, under conquest from the Roman Empire. I think you know that, okay? They, they didn't really get to vote for who they wanted. I mean, they just they, the Romans were in charge. Whoever was in charge of that area, whoever Rome decided was in charge of that area, that was who was in charge. All they could do was sit around and complain and ask, what have the Romans ever done for us? And yet amongst these Jewish people, there were actually four distinct sects. Okay, These are like political groups, four distinct groups uh, that made up the Jewish people in this Roman Empire. And they all had very different views of how to handle this situation, what God's plan was for this situation. I've talked about this before. Uh, For those who've never heard me talk about this, I'll talk about it again this morning. First, you had a group, they were known as the Herodians. Okay, this was a group of Jews in Jesus' day, the Herodians. They just kind of accepted the situation. They're like, hey, it's not so bad. The Romans are looking after us, you know, we've got security, we've got comfort, you know, we've got roads. We, we, we kind of like the Romans, so, so this particular group of Jews, they, they'd accepted their Roman leaders. Now, on the opposite end of the political spectrum, amongst the Jews, you had a group called the Zealots. Okay, the Zealots, they were full of zeal and anger and rage. They wanted a holy war against the Romans. They were ready for violence, and they were passionate. Then you had the Essenes. Okay, the Essenes, they were completely different too. They just wanted to get away from it all. They just wanted to get away from all the tension and the chaos. And they wanted to start communities out in the desert and be away from everyone with no Wi-Fi and no cell service. And some of you were like, man, I want to be an Essene. That sounds really good right about now. That was their view of life. And then finally, some of you may have heard of this group. You had the Pharisees. Okay, so the Pharisees, they were another group uh, amongst the Jewish people. They were probably the majority party, the largest party. And the Pharisees, they just figured that if we can be good enough, if we can follow God's laws um, to the right amount, if we can really do everything that God tells us to do, then He will come and rescue us. He will deliver us. He's got this plan to overthrow the Romans and set us free. But in order for that to happen, we're going to have to be the best Pharisees we can possibly be. So even in Jesus' day, you had these opposing political views amongst the Jewish people. And as Jesus began to grow in in popularity and fame, some of these groups, they started to speculate as to who Jesus was with. I bet he's one of us. Oh, I've been watching Jesus. I can tell he's one of us. I wonder if the Pharisees looked on and thought, man, he's like a rabbi, a teacher. He's definitely a Pharisee. I love Jesus, he must be a Pharisee. But the zealots, they're like, did you hear? Jesus was in the temple the other day, he threw over the tables. That's the kind of thing a zealot does. Get him a sword, he's one of us. Then the Essenes, maybe they were saying, Jesus, I heard that before he even started his ministry, he went off for 40 days alone in the desert just to pray and to fast. He's definitely an Essene. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. Everyone wanted Jesus to line up with their way of thinking. All of them were saying, he's obviously on our side. And much like today, I think each of these groups had a list of reasons why Jesus was for their party or their movement. And also, much like today, each of these groups despised one another. And to their frustration... Jesus never made a commitment to any one of them. In fact, sometimes it seemed like everything he was teaching and preaching and doing lined up completely with their values and thinking. And then other times he would say something or do something that went completely against what they thought was right. Sometimes he even challenged them for their way of thinking. And it drove them mad. So they would go to all lengths to try and figure Jesus out, to pigeonhole him, to say this is who Jesus must be. And we read of one situation in Matthew chapter 22, this really unique situation where they really tried to force Jesus to choose a side. Come on, Jesus, we need to know. Cubs or Cardinals? Which is it going to be? They just wanted to, to figure it out. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, Jesus, in his words. So they sent their disciples, the Pharisees sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Now remember we talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians, opposite ends of the political spectrum. These are two groups who had very different ideas of what God should do in Rome. The Herodians were like, hey, no, we think this is a good thing. We're going to kind of chill. We're going to go with the flow. The Pharisees are like, we've got to overthrow the empire. God's going to come and deliver us. So these are two very opposing groups joining forces to try and make Jesus choose one side or the other. And here's how they do that. Verse 16. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are so tell us then what is your opinion is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not now this seems like such a simple innocent question but this question was full of so much um, political energy Because you see, the Herodians, they had some very strong views on whether or not you should pay the taxes. They actually were fine paying it, because that was just part of what it meant to be Jews in the empire of Rome. And and they were benefiting from it, so they didn't mind paying these taxes. They were kind of hoping that Jesus would give them the green light and say, Yes, I think you should pay the taxes. Because they could say, You see that? He's a Herodian. The Pharisees, they're really hoping that Jesus would say, Oh no. You shouldn't pay those taxes, because they're wrong. We're under um, persecution here. We should rebel. We shouldn't pay those taxes. And here's the tax. It was about a day's wage for the lowest class of workers. It wasn't even really a significant amount of money. But the tax, it was called the head tax, and basically everyone who had a head had to pay it. (laughs) That's how they determined who paid these taxes. You're a family of five. Five of you have to pay the taxes. So people didn't like this tax because it wasn't based on your um, status or how much money you had. It was like no one had a choice. Everyone had to pay this tax. Very controversial. So there they've got Jesus pinned in a corner and whatever answer he gives, one of those groups is going to leave happy saying, see, I told you he was on our side. And the other group's going to go, there! I knew he was on their side. They wanted to know whose side Jesus was on. So listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Hey, show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they bought him a denarius a Roman coin, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Oh, Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Because in that really simple answer, using a Roman coin, he said, it's your responsibility to give to Caesar what is Caesar. And all the Herodians are saying, Amen. He said, you know what? It's also your responsibility to give to God what is God's. And all the Pharisees are saying, Amen. <laughs> but wait a minute. You can't have both. Because <laughs> we think it should be just one. And, and the other's like, well, we think it should be just this. And Jesus says, hey, he's far bigger than that. And in that moment... They both left because they were really hoping that they could narrow Jesus down to to one idea or another. Which is why it's so foolish, 2,000 years later, to continue to try and do what they did back then. And that is to, to force Jesus to take a side. And here's why. As a famous author and pastor, Tony Evans, once said, he said, Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. He came to introduce the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is always at some level, in some detail, in some way, at odds with the political parties of this world. Sometimes the kingdom of God lines right up with it, but sometimes it's at odds with it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that whole idea next week, if you still can hang in there for one more week. here's why I think it's difficult for us myself included, for us as the church this morning, as followers of Jesus, but here's why I think it's so important because I don't think there's ever been a time where it's more important for us as followers of Jesus to, to, to figure this out so we can demonstrate to this broken, divisive world that we live in that there is still hope that we've not gone past the point of no return you see our faith And our Christian conscience, we talked about this last week, our faith and our Christian conscience, it will lead us to vote a certain way. And that's a great thing. But what we tend to do then, as human beings, is we then look at our brothers and sisters in Christ who think differently and who vote differently. And we find ourselves asking, I can't understand why, as a Christian, that person would vote for that party. I can't understand, as a Christian, why that person would vote for that person. And in saying something like that, that actually reveals more about us than it does them. Because if we're in a place of saying, I can't understand why another Christian would think that way, behave that way, do that, vote that way, then that's on us. If we can't understand, it's because we've not really tried to figure out why they think that way. If we can't understand, what are we doing to try and understand? You see, I think as followers of Jesus, we can lead the way in this. I don't think it's easy, but I think we can lead the way in this. And out of our Christ-mandated desire to be united and not divided as a church, we can make a decision to listen, to learn, and to love. To listen, to learn, to love. This is going to sound really simple, and it is in concept. (laughs) But actually living it out is a challenge for all of us. So what do I mean by this? Well, what does it mean to listen? To listen to one another. To listen to, to folks that think differently for us. I think it's pausing to recognize and admit That if we want to move forward, if we want to step towards unity instead of political division and diversity, we have to be ready to admit that political views and values, like all views and values, Cubs, Cardinals, Pepsi, Coke, they're all shaped by a variety of things, aren't they? In fact, some of those things that shape our views and our values and even our political values, we didn't even have control over where we live how we were raised, where we were educated, if we were educated, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've seen others experience. And you can be a follower of Jesus this morning, and if you were raised in this area, or you were raised in this area, your faith may lead you to think differently. Because it's not that one's right, one's wrong, it's just that there's different perspectives, different values, different uh, areas in which you've grown up. And your faith leads you to see things differently. And that's why for us as followers of Jesus, it's really important to listen to people who don't experience the world the way we experience it. And I'll be honest with you, it's getting harder and harder to do that. Because sadly, I think uh, society and social media is, is changing the story a little bit, so it's easier for us to just listen to people who think like us. We can actually exist in a world where the only people we hear are people who, who say the same things and, and think the same things as us. And it's difficult, but maybe we need to try and to listen at least to what other people have to say. And if we're going to listen, we also need to be willing to Learn. Again, this is difficult, but I think as followers of Jesus this morning, we can do this to see what it is to be a student and not just a critic. You see, I think if we're willing to learn, I'm learning this in my own life, if we're willing to learn, you may learn that the thing your faith and upbringing drives you to be passionate about is different than the thing your brother or sister in Christ is also passionate about. But it turns out they're just as passionate about that as you are about the the idea that you're passionate about. And you may discover as you listen and learn that, that what they're passionate about is also close to the heart of Jesus, just like what you're passionate about is close to the heart of Jesus. And that's why I think we as the church can present such an amazing vision of what humanity could be that we are a group of people who are different but unified passionate about different things but all those things that are close to the heart of Jesus so some folks are passionate about this others are passionate about this working together to do in this world what politics may never be able to do but we as the church of Jesus Christ can do that's why it's good to listen and why it's good to learn but the challenge is if we're honest with ourselves, is, well, what if I listen and I learn? Do I have to change my mind? Do I have to agree with that person? What if I listen and learn and I still don't agree with that person? I think that's okay. I think that's okay as long as, as followers of Jesus, we stay committed to what we talked about last week, and that is being able to disagree politically, but still love unconditionally. And we can only do that if after listening and learning, we introduce love. That's what we have as followers of Jesus. That's what we can introduce in this time for the world to see. Because love means you can disagree politically and still love unconditionally. I want to challenge you. Let's never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Let's never burn a relational bridge over a political view, especially if that person is somebody who worships Jesus the same way you worship Jesus, the same, loves Jesus the same way you love Jesus. I was saddened recently to see a person post on Facebook, they said, if you vote for this person, then please unfriend me now. And as I read it, I just thought, you know, that's the complete opposite of who Jesus has called us to be. In fact, that's, I think, what's existing in the world outside of the church. And they're looking for a different way to to exist, to live our lives. Can I remind you this morning that the person beside you is more precious to God than your potentially flawed view. However strong you are about your view, your beliefs, that person beside you is more precious to God than any of your views. Paul tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's all of mankind. That's everyone. That's the people who vote the same way as you and the people who vote differently than you. Christ died for all of them. How dare you or I burn a relational bridge with anyone for whom Christ died? Because that's what's going on right now outside of the church. And yeah, I, honestly, there's a lot of stuff I'd love to teach and preach on right now. Some really good stuff. Jesus has some great things we could talk about—loving and caring—and you'd all leave this morning just feeling like that was great. Yes, yeah. it's difficult to talk about this, but it's it's something that's affecting all of us, isn't it? It's playing into our lives, and as followers of Jesus, not only do I want to, do I not want to be influenced? by the division and the anger and the bitterness and the rage that's out there. I want to actually find a way of living my life as a follower of Jesus that shines out so those who are fed up with this can find hope. Maybe there is a way that humankind can agree to disagree, can listen, can learn, can love, can disagree politically, but can love unconditionally, can choose to pray for unity. And I think we can do that if we'll set our hearts and our minds to it. And you're going to find out more how we can do that next week if you come back for the final part of Talking Points. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Jesus, that this just happens so often, Lord. We talk about something that's happened in 2020. We talk about the fact that the world is a place of division and this is happening and that's happening. It's such a, you know, I can't remember it ever being like this. I can't. But in actual fact, we look at a story 2,000 years ago where two groups of opposing ideologies came together to try and trap Jesus into choosing one side over the other. And in that moment, Jesus, you demonstrated that you weren't here to choose sides. You don't want to take sides, you want to take control. You have a a kingdom that you are building. So help us, Lord, in the middle of this division to remember that while you've shaped each and every one of us differently, and our faith in you and our upbringing will cause us to be passionate about different things and maybe vote differently than one another. We are still brothers and sisters in Christ. We can still agree to disagree. We may even learn, listen, and love one another through this. But help us do that, Lord, because the world really doesn't need to see this handled correctly. And I think we as the church can do that. So thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years ago you modeled that for us. And 2,000 years ago it's still as real today as it was back then. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.